and welcome to the Mysterious Benedict Society Read Aloud podcast. I'm so excited to read this book with you guys. It's one of my favorites, and I know the new TV series of the Mysterious Benedict Society is coming out on Disney Plus on June 25th, so I'm so excited about that, and I thought, well, what if people haven't read the book yet? It's a great story, and I really want to share it with you if you're not available to get the book or maybe have a hard time reading. So, let's get started. The Mysterious Benedict Society by Trenton Lee Stewart. Chapter 1. Pencils, Erasers, and Disqualification. In a city called Stonetown, near a port called Stonetown Harbor, a boy named Rennie Muldoon was preparing to take an important test. It was the second day of the test. The first had been in an office across town. After that one, he was told to come here, to the Monk Building on 3rd Street, and to bring nothing but a single pencil and a single rubber eraser, and to arrive no later than 1 o'clock. If he happened to be late or bring two pencils, or forget his eraser, or in any other way deviate from the instructions, he would not be allowed to take the test, and that would be that. Rennie, who very much wanted to take the test, was very careful to follow the instructions. Curiously enough, these were the only ones given. He was not told how to get to the Monk Building, for example, and had found it necessary to ask directions to the nearest bus stop, acquire a schedule from a dishonest bus driver who tried to trick him into paying for it, and walk several blocks to catch the 3rd Street bus. Not that any of this was difficult for Rennie Muldoon. Although he was only 11 years old, he was quite used to figuring things out for himself. From somewhere across the city, a church bell struck the half hour. 12.30. He still had a while to wait. When he'd checked the doors of the Monk building at noon, they were locked. So Rennie had bought a sandwich at a deli stand and sat down on this park bench to eat. A tall building in Stonetown's busiest district must surely have many offices inside, he thought. Locked doors at noon seemed a little peculiar. But then, what hadn't been peculiar about this whole affair? To begin with, there was the advertisement. A few days before, Rennie had been reading the newspaper over breakfast at Stonetown Orphanage, sharing a sections with his tutor, Miss Permel. As Rennie had already completed all his textbooks on his own, even those of the high school students, the orphanage director had assigned him a special tutor, while the other children went to class. Miss Permel didn't quite know what to do with Rennie either, but she was intelligent and kind, and in their time together, they had grown fond of sharing the morning newspaper over breakfast and tea. The newspaper that morning had been filled with the usual headlines, several of them devoted to what was commonly called the emergency. Things had gotten desperately out of control, the headlines reported. The school systems, the budget, the pollution, the crime, the weather. Why, everything, in fact, was a complete mess, and citizens everywhere were clamoring for a major, no, a dramatic improvement in government. Things must change now, was the slogan plastered on billboards all over the city. It was a very old slogan. And although Rennie rarely watched television, he knew the emergency was the main subject of the news program every day, as it had been for years. Naturally, when Rennie and Miss Permelfest met, they discussed the emergency at great length, finding themselves quite in agreement about politics. However, they soon found such conversation boring and decided to drop the subject. In general, then they talked about the other news stories, those that varied day to day, and afterward they amused themselves by reading the advertisements. Such was the case on that particular morning when Rennie's life had so suddenly taken a turn. Do you care for more honey with your tea? Miss Primo had asked, speaking in Tamil, a language she was teaching him. 
But before Rennie could answer that of course he wanted more honey, the advertisement caught Miss Permal's eye, and she exclaimed, Rennie, look at this. Would you be interested? Miss Permal sat across the table from him, but Rennie, who had no trouble reading upside down, quickly scanned the advertisement's bold printed words. Are you a gifted child looking for special opportunities? How odd, he thought. The question was addressed directly to children, not to their parents. Rennie had never known his parents, who died when he was an infant, and it pleased him to read a notice that seemed to take this possibility into account. But still, how odd. How many children read the newspaper after all? Rennie did, but he had always been more alone in this, had always considered an oddball, if not for Miss Permal. He might have even given it up by now, to avoid some of the teasing. "'I suppose I might be interested,' he said to Miss Permal, "'if you think I would qualify.' Miss Permal gave him a wiry look. "'Don't you play games with me, Rennie Muldoon. "'If you aren't the most talented child I've ever known, "'then I've never known a child at all.' There were to be several sessions of the test administered over the weekend. They made plans for Rennie to attend the very first session. Unfortunately, on Saturday, Miss Permal's mother fell ill, and Miss Permal couldn't take him. This was a real disappointment to Rennie, and not just because of the delay. He always looked forward to Miss Permal's company, her laughter, her wiry expressions, the story she told often in Tamil of her childhood in India, even the occasional sigh she made when she didn't think he was aware. They were gentle and lighting these sighs, and despite their melancholy, Rennie loved to hear them. Miss Permal sighed when she was feeling sad for him, he knew. Sad to see him teased by the other children, sad the poor boy had lost his parents. And Rennie wished he hadn't worried her, but he did not like knowing she cared. She was the only one who did. Not counting Seymour, the orphanage cat, with whom Rennie spent the day in the reading room, and he only wanted to be petted. Quite apart from his eagerness to take the special test, Rennie simply missed Miss Permal. He was hopeful then when Mr. Rutger, the orphanage director, informed him late that evening that Mrs. Permal's mother was considerably improved. Rennie was in the reading room again, the only place in the orphanage where he could be assured of solitude. No one else ever ventured into it, and freedom from prosecution. At dinner, an older boy named Vic Montegroff had tormented Rennie for using the word enjoyable to describe the book he was reading. Vic thought it was too fancy a word to be proper, and soon had gotten the entire table laughing and saying enjoyable in mocking tones until Rennie had finally excused himself without dessert and retreated here. Yes, she's much better, much better, said Mr. Rutger through a mouthful of cheesecake. He was a thin man with a thin face, and his cheeks positively bulged as he chewed. Miss Permal just telephoned with the news. She asked for you, but as you were not to be found in the dining hall, and I was in the middle of dinner, I took the message for you. Thank you, said Rennie with a mixture of relief and disappointment. Cheesecake was his favorite dessert. I'm glad to hear it. Indeed, nothing like health, absolutely nothing like it, best thing for anyone, said Mr. Rutger, but here he paused in his chewing with an unpleasant worried expression upon his face, as if he thought perhaps there had been an insect in his food. Finally, he swallowed, brushed the crumbs from his waistcoat, and said, but see here, Rennie, Miss Permal mentioned a test of some sort. Special opportunity, she said. What is this all about? This isn't about attending an advanced school, is it? They had been through this before. Rennie had repeatedly asked permission to apply elsewhere, but Mr. Rucker had insisted Rennie would fare better here, with a tutor, than at an advanced school. Here you are comfortable, Mr. Rucker had told him more than once. And more than once, Rennie had thought, here I'm alone. But in the end, Mr. Rucker had his way, and Miss Permal was hired. It had proved a blessing. 
Rooney would never complain about Miss Primmel. Still, he had often wondered what life might be like at a school where the other students didn't find him so odd. I don't know, sir, Rooney said, his hopefulness slipping into dejection. He wished Miss Primmel hadn't mentioned the test, though of course she must have felt obliged to. We just wanted to see what this was all about. Mr. Rucker considered this. Well, no harm in seeing what things are about, I suppose. I should like to know what it's about myself. In fact, why don't you prepare a report for me when you return? Say, ten pages? No hurry, you can turn in tomorrow evening. Tomorrow evening? said Rennie. Does that mean I'm taking the test? I thought I told you, said Mr. Rucker with a frown. Miss Perma will come for you first thing in the morning. He took out an embroidered handkerchief and blew his nose with great ferocity. And now, Rennie, I believe I'll leave you to your reading. This dusty room is a hardship on my sinuses. Be a good man and run a feather duster over the shelves before you leave, will you? After hearing this news, Rennie could hardly return to his reading. He flared about with the feather duster and went straight to bed, as if doing so would hasten the morning's arrival. Instead, it lengthened his night, for he was far too eager and anxious to sleep. Special opportunities, he kept thinking over and over again. He would have been thrilled to get a crack at a plain old regular opportunities, much less special ones. Just before dawn, he rose, got ready with the lights off so as not to disturb his roommates. They often snarled at him for reading in bed at night, even when he used a tiny pin light under the covers, and hurried down to the kitchen. Miss Primmel was already waiting for him. She had been too excited to sleep as well, and had arrived early. The kettle was just beginning to whistle on the stove, and Miss Primmel, with her back to him, was setting out cups and saucers. "'Good morning, Miss Primmel,' he said frockily. He cleared his throat. "'I was glad to hear your mother's doing better.' "'Thank you, Rennie. Would you?' Miss Primmel turned then, took one look at him, and said, "'You'll not make a good impression dressed like that, I'm afraid. One mustn't wear striped pants with a checkered shirt, Rennie. In fact, I believe those must belong to a roommate. They're at least a size too big. Also, it appears that one of your socks is blue and the other is purple.' Rennie looked down at his outfit in surprise. Usually, he was the least noticeable of boys. He was of average size, of an average pear complexion. His brown hair was of average length, and he wore average clothes. But this morning, though he would stand out in a crowd, unless it happened to be a crowd of clowns. He grinned at Miss Permo and said, I dress this way for luck. Luckily, you won't need luck, said Miss Permo, taking the kettle from the stove. Now please go change, and this time, turn on your light. Never mind how your roommates grumble, so that you may have better luck choosing your clothes. When Rennie returned, Miss Perma told him that she had a long errand to run. Her mother had been prescribed new medicine and a special diet, and Miss Perma must go shopping for her. So it was agreed that she would take him to the test and pick him up when it was over. After a light breakfast, neither of them wanted more than toast, yet well before anyone else in the orphanage had risen, Miss Primmel drove from across the sleepy city to an office building near Stonetown Bay. A line of children already stood at the door, all of them accompanied by their parents, all fidgeting nervously. When Miss Primmel moved to get out of her car, Rennie said, I thought you were dropping me off. You don't think I would just leave you here without investigating first, do you? replied Miss Primmel. The notice didn't even list a telephone number for questions. It's about out of the ordinary, don't you think? So Rennie took his place at the end of the line while Miss Permo went inside the building to speak with someone. It was a long line and Rennie wondered how many special opportunities were available. Perhaps only a few. Perhaps they would all be given out before he even reached the door. He was growing anxious at this idea when a friendly man ahead of him turned and said, Don't worry, son. You haven't long to wait. All the children are to go inside together in a few minutes. They made the announcement just before you arrived. Rennie thanked him gratefully. 
Noticing as he did so that a number of parents were casting grumpy looks at the man, apparently disliking the notion of being friendly to competitors, the man, embarrassed, turned away from Rennie and said nothing else. "'Very well,' said Miss Perma when she returned. "'Everything is set. You may call me on the telephone when you've finished the test. Here is the number. If I'm not back by then, simply call a taxi and Mr. Rucker will pay the fare. You can tell me all about it this afternoon.' "'Thanks so much for everything, Miss Permal," said Rennie, earnestly taking her hand. "'Oh, Rennie, you silly child. Don't look so grateful,' said Miss Permal. To Rennie's surprise, there were tears on her cheeks. "'It's nothing at all. Now give your poor tutor a hug. I imagine my services won't be needed after this.' "'I haven't passed it yet, Miss Permal.' "'Oh, stop being silly,' she said, and after squeezing him tightly, Miss Permal dabbed her eyes with a handkerchief, walked determinedly to her car, and drove away just as the children were ushered into the building.' It was a curious test. The first section was rather what Winnie Abbott would have expected. One or two questions about guarding octagons and hexagons, another the devoted bushels of kilograms and kilograms of that, and another required calculating how much time must pass before two speeding trains collided. This last question Winnie answered with a thoughtful frown. Nothing in the margin that since the two trains were approaching each other on an empty stretch of track. It was likely the engineers would recognize the impending disaster and apply their brakes, thus avoiding the collision altogether. Rennie raced through these questions, and many liked them. Then came to the second section, whose first question was, Do you like to watch television? This certainly was not the sort of question Rennie had expected. It was only a question of preference. Anyway, of course he liked to watch television. Everybody liked to watch television. As he started to mark down the answer, however, Rennie hesitated. Well, did he really? The more he thought about it, the more he realized that he didn't, in fact, like to watch television at all. I really am an oddball, he thought, with a feeling of disappointment. Nonetheless, he answered the question truthfully, no. The next question read, do you like to listen to the radio? And again, Rennie realized that he did not, although he was sure everyone else did. With a growing sense of isolation, he answered the question, no. The third question, thankfully, was less emotional. It read, what is wrong with this statement? How funny, Rennie thought, and marking down his answers, he felt somewhat cheered. It isn't a statement at all, he wrote. It's a question. The next page showed a picture of a chessboard, upon which all the pieces and pawns rested in their starting positions, except for a black pawn, which had advanced two spaces. The question read, according to the rules of chess, is this position possible? Rennie studied the board a moment, scratched his head, and wrote down his answer. Yes. After a few more pages of questions, all of which Rennie felt confident he had answered correctly, he arrived at the test's final question. Are you brave? Just reading the words quickened Rennie's heart. Was he brave? Bravery had never been required of him, so how could he tell? Miss Permal would say he was. She would point out how cheerfully he tried to be, despite being lowly, how patiently he withstood the teasing of other children, and how he was always eager for a challenge. But these things only showed that he was a good-natured, polite, and very often bored. Did they really show that he was brave? He didn't think so. Finally, he gave up trying to decide and simply wrote, I hope so. He laid down his pencil and looked around. Most of the other children were also finishing the test. At the front of the room, munching rather loudly on an apple, the test administrator was keeping a close eye on them to ensure they didn't cheat. She was a thin woman with a mustard-yellow suit, with a yellowish complexion, short-cropped, rusty-red hair, and a stiff posture. She reminded Rennie of a giant walking pencil. "'Pencils!' the woman suddenly called out, as if she'd read his thoughts. 
The children jumped in their seats. Please lay down your pencils now, the pencil woman said. The test is over. But I'm not finished, one child cried. That's not fair. I want more time, cried another. The woman's eyes narrowed. I'm sorry you haven't finished, children, but the test is over. Please pass your papers to the front of the room and remain seated while the tests are graded. Don't worry, it won't take long. As the papers were passed forward, Rennie heard the boy behind him snicker and say to his neighbor, If they couldn't finish that test, they shouldn't have even come. Like that chess question? Who could have missed it? The neighbor, sounding every bit as smug, replied, They were trying to trick us. Pawns can only move one space at a time, so of course the position wasn't possible. I bet some of the stupid kids just didn't know that. Ha! You're just lucky you didn't miss it yourself. Pawns can move two spaces. On their very first move, they can. But whether it moved one space or two is beside the point. Don't you know that white always moves first? The black pawn couldn't have moved yet at all. It's so simple. This test was for babies. Are you calling me a baby? Growled the other. You boys there, stamped the pencil woman. Stop talking. Rennie was suddenly anxious. Could he possibly have answered that question wrong? And what about the other questions? Except for the odd ones about television and bravery, they'd seemed easy. But perhaps he was such a strange bird that he had misunderstood everything. He shook his head and tried not to care. If he wanted to prove himself brave after all, he had just better stop worrying. If he must return to his old routine at the orphanage, at least he had Miss Permal. What did it matter if he was different from other children? Everyone got teased from time to time. He was no different in that respect. Rennie told himself this, but his anxious feeling didn't fade. After all the tests had been turned in, the pencil woman stepped out of the room, leaving the children to bite their nails and watch the clock. Only a few minutes passed, however, before she returned and announced, I shall now read the names of the children admitted into the second phase of the test. The children began to murmur, A second phase? The advertisement hadn't mentioned a second phase. The woman continued, If your name is called, you are to report to the Monk Building on 3rd Street, no later than 1 o'clock where you would join children from other sessions who also passed the test. She went on to lay out the rules about pencils, erasers, and disqualification. Then she propped a handful of peanuts into her mouth and chewed ferociously, as if she were starving. Rennie raised his hand. Mm, yes, the woman said, swallowing. Excuse me, you said to bring one pencil. What if that pencil lead breaks? Will there be another pencil sharpener? Again, the boy behind Rennie snickered, this time muttering, What makes him so sure he'll be taking the test? She hasn't even called the names yet. It was true. He should have waited longer until she called the names. He must have seemed very arrogant. Cheeks burning, Rennie ducked his head. The pencil woman answered, Yes, if a sharpener should become necessary, one will be provided. Children are not to bring their own. Understood? There was a general nodding of heads, after which the woman clapped the peanut grit from her hands, took out a sheet of paper, and continued. Very well. If there are no other questions, I shall read the list. The room became very quiet. Renard Muldoon, the woman called. Rennie's heart leaped. There was a grumble of discontent from the seats behind him, but as soon as it passed, the room again grew quiet, and the children waited with bated breath for the other names to be called. The woman glanced up from the sheet. That is all, she said matter-of-factly, folding the paper and tucking it away. The rest of you are dismissed. The room erupted in outcries of anger and dismay. Dismissed, said the boy behind Rennie. Dismissed? As the children filed out the door, some weeping bitterly, some stunned, some whining in complaint, Rennie approached the woman. For some reason, she was hurrying around the room, checking the window locks. Excuse me, miss. May I please use your telephone? My tutor said. I'm sorry, Renard, the woman interrupted, tugging unsuccessfully on a closed window. 
I'm afraid there isn't a telephone. But Miss Permal... Bernard, the woman said with a smile, I'm sure you can do, make do without one, can't you? Now, if you'll excuse me, I must sneak out the back door. These windows appear to be painted shut. Sneak out? But why? I've learned from experience. Any moment now, some of these children's parents will come storming in to demand explanations. Unfortunately, I have none to give them. They're off. I must go. I'll see you this afternoon. Don't be late. And with that, away she went. It had been a strange business indeed, and Rennie had suspicion that grows stronger stale. When the distant church bell struck the quarter hour, Rennie finished his sandwich and rose from the park bench. If the doors to the monk building weren't open by now, he would try to find another way in. At this point, it would hardly surprise him to discover he must enter the building through a basement window. As he mounted the steps from the monk building's broad front plaza, Rennie saw two girls well ahead of him, walking together toward the front doors. Other test takers, he guessed. One girl who seemed to have green hair, though perhaps this was the trick of the light, the sun shone blindingly bright today, was carelessly flinging her pencil up into the air and catching it again. Not the best idea, Rennie thought, and sure enough, even as he thought it, the girl missed the pencil and watched it fall through a grate at her feet. For a moment, the other girl hesitated, as if she might try to help. Then she checked her watch, and only a few minutes it would be one o'clock. Sorry about your pencil. It's a shame, she said but already her sympathetic expression was fading. Clearly it had occurred to her that with this green-haired girl unable to take the test, there would be less competition. With a spreading smile, she hurried across the plaza and through the front doors of the monk building, which had finally been unlocked. The metal grate covered the storm drain that ran beneath it the plaza, and the unfortunate girl was staring through it down into darkness when Rennie reached her. Her appearance was striking, indeed even startling. She had coal-black skin, hair so long she could have tied it around her waist, and yes, it was truly green, with an extraordinarily puffy white dress that gave you the impression she was standing in a cloud. That's rotten luck, Rennie said, to drop your pencil here of all places. The girl looked up at him with hopeful eyes. You don't happen to have an extra one, do you? I'm sorry, I was told to bring... I know, I know, she interrupted. Only one pencil. Well, that was my only pencil, and a fat lot of good it would do me down that drain. She stared wistfully through the grate a moment, then looked up at Rennie, as if surprised to see him still standing there. What are you waiting for? The test starts any minute. I'm not going to leave you here without a pencil, Rennie said. I was surprised your friend did. Friend? Oh, that other girl. She's not my friend. We just met at the bottom of the steps. I didn't even know her name, for that matter. I don't know yours either. Renard Muldoon. You can call me Rennie. Okay, Rennie. Nice to meet you. I'm Rhonda Kanzabe. So now that we're friends and all that, how do you intend to get my pencil back? We better hurry, you know. One minute late and we're disqualified. Rennie took out his own pencil, a new yellow number two, that he'd sharpened to the fine point that morning. Actually, he said, we'll just share this one. He snapped the pencil in two and handed her the sharpened in. I'll sharpen my haft and we'll both be set. Do you have your eraser? Rhonda Kanzabe was staring at her half of the pencil with a mixture of gratitude and surprise. That would never have occurred to me, she said, breaking it like that. Now, what did you say? Oh, yes, I have my eraser. Then let's get going. We only have a minute, Rennie urged. Rhonda held back. Hold on, Rennie. I haven't properly thanked you. You're welcome, he said impatiently. Now let's go. Still, she resisted. No, I really want to thank you. If it weren't for you, I couldn't have taken the test. And do you want to know something? Glancing around to be sure that they were alone, Rhonda whispered, I have the answers. I'm going to make a perfect score. What? How? No time to explain. 
but if you sit right behind me, you can look over my shoulder. I'll hold up my test a bit to make it easier. Rennie was stunned. How in the world could this girl have gotten her hands on the answers? And now she was offering to help him cheat? He was briefly tempted. He wanted desperately to learn about those special opportunities. But when he imagined returning to tell Miss Perma of his success, hiding the fact that he cheated, he knew he could never do it. No, thank you, he said. I'd rather not. Rana Kanzambe looked amazed, and Rennie once again felt the weight of loneliness upon him. If it wasn't unpleasant to feel so different from the other children at Stonetown Orphanage, how much worse was it to be seen as an oddball by a green-haired girl wearing her own personal fog bank? Okay, suit yourself, Rana said, as the two of them started toward the front doors. I hope you know what you're in for. Rennie was in too much of a hurry to respond. He had no idea what he was in for, of course, but he certainly wanted to find out. Inside the Monk building, conspicuously posted signs led them down a series of corridors, past a room where a handful of parents waited anxiously, and at last into a room crowded with children and desks. Except for the unusual silence, the room was just like any other schoolroom, with a chalkboard at the front and a teacher's desk upon, which rested a pencil sharpener, a ruler, and a sign that said, No talking. If you are caught talking, it will be assumed you are cheating. Only two seats remained empty, one behind the other. To guarantee he wouldn't be tempted to cheat, Rennie chose the one in front. A clock on the wall struck one just as Rana Kanzabe dropped into the desk behind him. That was close, she said. There will be no talking, boomed the pencil woman, who just entered then, slamming the door behind her. She strode briskly to the front of the room, carrying a tall stack of papers and a jar of pickles. If any child is caught cheating, then he or she will be executed. The children gasped. I'm sorry, did I say executed? I meant to say escorted. Any child caught cheating will be escorted from the building at once. Now then, are you all relaxed? It's important to be relaxed when taking such an extremely difficult test as this, especially considering how long it is and how very little time you'll have to complete it. In the back of the room, someone groaned in distress. You there, shouted the pencil woman, pointing her finger. Every head in the room swiveled to see who had groaned. It was the same girl who had abandoned Rana Kanzabe on the plaza. Under the savage stare of the pencil woman, the girl's face went pasty pale, like the underbelly of a dead fish. I said no talking, the woman barked. Do you wish to leave now? But I only groaned, the girl protested. The pencil woman frowned. Do you mean to suggest that saying, but I only groaned, doesn't count as talking? The girl, frightened and perplexed, could hardly muster a shake of the head. Very well, let this be a warning to you to all of you. From this moment on, there will be no talking, period. Now then, are there any questions? Rennie raised his hand. Renard Muldoon, you have a question? Rennie held up his broken pencil and made a pencil sharpening motion with the other hand. Very well, you may use the pencil sharpener on my desk. Rennie hustled forward, sharpening his pencil. He felt all eyes upon him as he ground away, checking the tip and ground away again, and hurried back to his seat. As he did so, he noticed Rana Kanzambe slipping a tiny slip of paper from the sleeve of her cloud dress, the list of test answers. She was taking quite a risk, Rennie thought, but he had no chance to reflect on it further, as the pencil woman now launched into the rest of her speech. You shall have one hour to complete this test, she barked, and you must follow these directions exactly. First, write your name at the top of the test. Second, read all the questions carefully and answers carefully. Third, Choose the correct answers by circling the appropriate letter. Fifth, bring the completed test to me. Sixth, return to your seat and wait until all the tests have been graded, at which time I will announce the names of those who pass. 
the children who were shifting uneasily in their seats. What had happened to the fourth step? The pencil woman had skipped from third to fifth. The children looked at one another, not daring to speak. What if the fourth step was important? Rennie was waiting, hoping someone else would bring their hand for a change. When no one did, he timidly raised his own. Yes, Renard? He pointed to his mouth. Yes, you may speak. What is your question? Excuse me, but what about the fourth step? There is no fourth step, she replied. Any other questions? Utterly baffled now, the children held their tongues. To pass this test, the pencil woman went on, you must correctly answer every question, by which I mean every question. If you skip even one question or answer one incorrectly, you will fail the test. No problem, whispered Ronda Kanzambe from behind Rennie. The pencil woman's eyes darted to their side of the room. She stared hard at Rennie, whose mouth went dry. Why on earth didn't Rhonda keep her mouth closed? Was she trying to get them thrown out? You may begin the test as soon as you receive it, says the pencil woman, turning away at last. And Rennie resisted the urge to sigh with relief. Even a sigh might disqualify him. Besides, what relief he felt didn't last long. The pencil woman had begun handing out the tests. The first child to receive one was a tough-looking boy in a baseball cap who eagerly grabbed it, looking at the first question and burst into tears. The girl behind him looked at her test, rubbed her eyes as if they weren't working properly, then looked again. Her head wobbled on her neck. If you begin to feel faint, said the pencil woman moving on to the next child, place your head between your knees and take deep breaths. If you think you may vomit, please come to the front of the room, where a trash can will be provided. Down the row she went, distributing the test. The crying boy had begun flipping through the test now. There appeared to be several pages, and with each new page his sobs grew louder and more desperate. When he reached the end, he began to wail. I'm afraid loud weeping isn't permitted, said the pencil woman. Please leave the room. The boy, greatly relieved, leaped from his desk and raced to the door. Followed at once by two other children who hadn't see- seen the test yet but were terrified to see it now. The pencil woman closed the door. If any others flee the room in panic or dismay, she said sternly, please remember to close the door behind behind you. Your sobs may disturb the other test takers. She continued handing out the test. Child after child received it with trembling fingers, and child after child, upon looking at the questions, turned pale or red or a subtle shade of green. By the time the pencil woman dropped the pages upon his desk, dread was making Rennie's stomach flop like a fish, and for good reason. The questions were impossible. The first one read, the territories of the Naxxchumene Automatis Republic and the Nagorno-Karabakh region are disputed by what two countries? A. Bhutan, which under the 1865 Treaty of Sukukul ceded border land to Britain, and Britain, which in exchange for land provided by Bhutan, an annual subsidy, and under whose influence Britain's monarchy was established in 1907. B. Azerbaijan, which territory in 1828 was divided between Russia and Persia by the Treaty of Tumakaki, and Armida, a nation founded by the destruction of the Salud Empire some 2,000 years ago, likewise incorporated into Russia by the Aframated Treaty. C. Vanatui, which having been administered until its independence by an Anglo-French conomidium, retains both French and English as official languages, in addition to Bissalma or Bicalima, and Portugal, whose explorer Pedro Fernandes de Cuiros became in 1606 the first European to discover the islands of Vatinu Compromises. Although there were two more answers to choose from, Rennie didn't read them. If every question was like this one, he had absolutely no hope of passing. A quick glance in the next few questions did nothing to encourage him. 
If anything, they got worse. And this was only the first page. All around him, children were shivering, sighing, grinding their teeth. Rennie felt like joining them. So much for those special opportunities. Back to the orphanage he would go, where no one, not even good Miss Permal, knew what to do with him. It had been a nice idea, but apparently he did not have what it took. Even so, he wasn't ready to leave. He had yet to follow the directions. And because he was determined not to quit until he at least tried, he proceeded to follow them now. Dutifully, he wrote his name at the top of the first page. That was the first step. Well, you've accomplished that much, he thought. The second step was to read all the questions and answers carefully. Rennie took a deep breath. There were 40 questions in all. Just reading them would take him most of the hour. It didn't help that the pencil woman was now sat eating pickles. They were especially crisp ones, too, as she watched the children struggle. The second question wanted to know where the comma, vetch, or originated, and to what family it belonged. Rennie had no idea what a common vetch was, and the possible answers offered no helpful clue. It might be an antelope, a bird, a rodent, or a vine. Rennie went on to the third question, which had to do with subatomic particles called pheromones and an Indian physicist named Satagatasrana Bose. The fourth question asked which church was built by the Emperor Justinian to demonstrate a superiority to the late Theodoric's Austrian government's successors. On and on the questions went. To his credit, Rennie recognized some of the names and places, a few mathematic principles, and one or two important historical figures, but it wouldn't do him any good. He would be lucky to answer a single question correctly, much less all of them. When he was exactly halfway through the test, he was on question 20, regarding the difference between parataxis and hypotaxis. Rennie heard Rana Kazambe rise from the desk behind him. Was she already finished? Well, of course, she had all the answers. Rennie grimaced in irritation, and as Rhonda stepped forward to turn in her test, the other children gasped in amazement. But the pencil woman seemed not the least bit suspicious. If anything, she was absorbed in Rhonda's bizarre appearance and hardly glanced at the test as she took it. Rennie had a sudden insight. Rhonda was calling attention to herself on purpose. It was a trick. No one would suspect her cheating because who in her right mind would make such a spectacle of herself if she intended to cheat? The green hair, it must be a wig. The poofy dress, the whispering, they were all meant to distract. Most people would assume that if a child intended to cheat, then surely she would call as little attention to herself as possible. Would be as quiet as a mouse and as plain as wallpaper. Rennie had to hand it to Rhonda. She might not be smart enough to pass the test, but she was clever enough to get away with cheating on it. He felt a pang of jealousy. Now Rhonda would move on to experience those special opportunities while Rennie would mope his way back to the orphanage defeated. As Rhonda passed him by on the way back to her desk, she winked and let it fall a tiny slip of paper. It drifted down like a feather and settled lightly upon Rennie's desk. The test answers. Rennie peeked over the pencil woman, but she hadn't noticed. She was busy grading Rhonda's test now, making check mark after check mark and nodding her head. So the answers indeed were the right ones, and here they sat on his desk. If he'd felt tempted before, we had no idea how hard the test would be. The temptation was nothing compared to now. No matter that he'd resisted, no matter that he'd chosen the seat precisely to avoid the situation, here he was, staring at a slip of paper that contained the key to his hopes. All he had to do was turn it over and look at the answers. The other children were too busy sniffling and biting their fingernails to notice, and if he hurried, he might even copy the answers down before the pencil woman looked up again. She had finished grading Rhonda's paper and was concentrating on the nearly empty jar of pickles, trying to fish out the last one. Rennie stared at a long moment at the paper, sorely tempted. 
Then he reached out and flicked it from his desk and onto the floor. What good would those opportunities be to him if he wasn't qualified to be given them? And where was the pleasure in cheating? If he couldn't pass fairly, he didn't want to pass. He thought this and mostly believed it, and felt his spirits boosted by the decision. But even so, a few seconds passed before he could tear his eyes from the paper on the floor. All right, he told himself, returning to the test. Get a move on, Rennie, and don't look back. There's no time to waste. Indeed, there wasn't, as a glance at the wall clock confirmed. Less than half an hour remained, and Rennie had more than half the test yet to read. He finished reading about parataxis and hypotaxis. They either had something to do with writing or else with futuristic transportation, but he couldn't decide which. And moved on to question 21, which read, After the fall of the Russian Empire, when a failed attempt to create a transacusian republic with Georgia and Armida led to the creation of the country Azerbaijan, which currently disputes the Armenian territories of the next Kamazan Automatist Republic, and the Nagorno-Karabakh religion, from what key powers did Azerbaijan? Rennie stopped. Something about the question seemed awfully familiar. So familiar, that he had felt pressed to think about it. Hadn't he seen those names before? Flipping back to the beginning of the test, Rennie read the very first question again. The territories of the Naxpadian Automatist Republic and the Gnorgoro Karabakh religion are disputed by what two countries? He blinked, hardly believing his eyes. Armida and Azerbaijan. The answer to the question one lay hidden in question 21. This wasn't a test of knowledge at all. It was a puzzle. Rennie looked at question 22, which began, Despite having originated in Europe, the vine known as the common vetch, a member of the pea family, is widely... There it was! The answer to question two. With a mounting excitement, Rennie read the next one. And sure enough, although the question itself made no mention of subatomic particles or Indian physicists, there was a long discussion of them in answer D. Not only were all the answers buried in the test, he realized, they were listed in order. Number one's answer he found in question 21, and vice versa. Number two's answer was found in number 22, and so on, all the way up to 40, which cleared of the mystery of the parataxes and hypotaxes raised in question 20. Rennie was so delighted he nearly leaped from his desk and cheered. Still, he couldn't spare even a moment to congratulate himself. Time was running short. Eagerly, he set to the task of finding the correct answers. This took a good while, as it was necessary to flip back and forth between pages and read a great deal of text. And in the end, it took Rennie almost exactly one hour to finish the test. He had only just circled the last answer, placed his test on the pencil woman's desk, and looked around at the other children. Some were furiously circling numbers at random, hoping to get lucky, and some were not to be seen at all, having crept out of the room in bleak despair. When the pencil woman shouted, Pencils! Time's up, children. Lay down your pencils, please. After a certain amount of bubble and wiping away tears, the children stacked their tests on top of Rennie's and returned to their seats. In exhausted silence, they wait as the pencil woman flipped through the tests. This took but a minute. She had only to look at the first question, after all. When she came to Rennie's at the bottom of the stack, she ran through the pages, making check marks and nodding. Nice work, Rhonda whispered from behind him. You managed it all on your own. She seemed genuinely pleased that he hadn't cheated, despite having encouraged him to do just that. She certainly was a strange one. I shall now read the names of those who passed the test, announced the pencil woman. If your name is called, you will advance to the third stage of testing, so please remain seated and await further instructions. Those whose names are not called are free to go. Rennie's ears perked up. There was a third stage? The pencil woman cleared her throat. 
but this time she didn't bother looking at the paper in front of her. Renard Muldoon, she cried out. On her way out of the room, she added, That is all.